We're almost finished with the Green Sundays. Next Sunday is the Feast of Christ the King, and it's just uh, the Sunday before the beginning of Advent, one of the great seasons of the church year. So the reading this Sunday, all three readings uh, are important, not about getting to the end of the Green Sundays, but they take up subjects that are important to hold close to our heart and up to God as we think about uh, the season of expectation and joyful hope. I'm going to preach about the reading from 1 Samuel about Hannah and draw some connections about what, what this means about how we understand God and God's work in the world. Then I'm going to talk about the epistle to the Hebrews, which is an epistle about the perfect sacrifice affected by the work of Christ. And then finally, that happy passage I just read to you from the Gospel of Mark, the Apocalypse. And what does it mean and what is in this Gospel, what is Jesus getting at about all these terrible things that are going to be visited and how do we make sense of them uh, and so on. So from 1 Samuel, Hannah. Uh, this could be interpreted as a biblical passage about how somebody asks God for something and then ultimately gets it. And I, I'm always hesitant to preach about this because in our own day, uh, this subject comes up with a lot of people. It involves a lot of great sadness and um, also talks, uh, has something to do with the way we engage in magical thinking about how God works in the world and what God can do for us, and then beating ourselves up because we don't get what we want. That happens too. But for the people who wrote this story and who heard this story, it didn't really have that much to do with a woman who couldn't have a baby and now has a baby. It has to do with the continuity of God's purposes with the people. And whenever you read texts like this in the Bible, certainly in the Hebrew Bible, it ha you need to keep in mind that we're talking about the people. People's first understanding was their group identity and the corporate importance of God's work with them in the community. It wasn't a subjective thing where you believed in God and as the result of that, your internal, emotional, spiritual, and mental states were going to be improved as the first thing. What we've learned over time is it's not either or, it's both and. And that means that God's unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness works in our lives both personally and corporately. And so Hannah's faithfulness allows the biblical writer to focus on God's ability to bring abundant life in the midst of barrenness and to fulfill the purposes of the people as they seek to be faithful within human history. Hannah is going to have a son named Samuel. By the way, you hear all the promising that she makes about this man is, this is never going to have, have bring a razor to his hair. He's never going to drink strong drink or intoxicants. 
He's going to be consecrated to the Lord. There was another man like this too in the Bible, a Nazarite. And his name was Samson. You heard of Samson? Samson was kind of an, uh, acted out a lot. But he was a Nazarite. Now why is this important? Samuel will become the prophet who will go find David and anoint him as the king. When the people have clamored and clamored and clamored, said we're tired of the period of the judges. We don't want any more of this. We want our own king. And so they bring now the monarchy. This will turn out to be a mixed bag. But it is Samuel who is obedient to God's purposes and does this. And now founds the line that when Jesus was exercising his earthly ministry was the centerpiece of the messianic longings of the people of Israel. They said when the Messiah comes, he will restore the halcyon days of Israel in the person of King David and his son, King Solomon. Those were the great days and we want them back. And furthermore, and maybe the epistle to the Hebrews has a little bit to do with this, he is going to be a priestly Messiah. So he will purify in some ways the religious cult, and he will get us back to where we should be in terms of being right-wise with God. So this story is about how God affects those things within uh, human history what we sang instead of the psalm between the reading from Sam, 1 Samuel and the epistle was another reading from 1 Samuel. And those of you who may have picked this up, it's very similar to what we read in Luke's gospel that Mary speaks, the Magnificat, my soul magnifies the Lord. And in Luke's gospel, she says that when she meets her kinsman, Elizabeth who is going to have John the Baptist. This is all connected. Are you getting how it's all connected up? So remember, this is a story about how God's purposes are affected by, affected by the uh, presence of things in human history and how we probably would do better not to beat ourselves up if we think we want something and don't get it or are faithful and don't get it what are we going to do? And Hannah learned some things in the course of this experience. You know, she's developed some spiritual depth over time, even though she's treated badly by the men. Eli, by the way, the priest at, at the shrine, Eli is going to be the one who raises Samuel and Samuel is going to be the instrument of Eli and his son's downfall because of their corrupt behavior at the shrine. Just to show you how biblical interpretation can become very extravagant and why we need to be careful, I was raised a Christian scientist in the bosom of Mary Baker Eddy. And part of the hagiography in Christian science of Mary Baker Eddy was that like Samuel, when she was a little girl, she heard the voice of God 
Remember Samuel comes in to the priest Eli and wakes him up and he said, you called me? And he said, no, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. He hears the voice again. He comes in and he says, you called me? He said, I did not call you. Go back to bed. He hears the voice again. And he comes in to Samuel, to Eli, and he said, you called me? And he said, you know what? I didn't call you, but the next time you hear the voice, you say, Lord, here am I. And the Lord tells Samuel that what he is about to do is going to make the ears in all Israel tingle. And he will begin to give him directions about how to bring down this corrupt group. It's rather a tragic story because Eli was a kind man. And in today's reading, you can see that, but he allowed things to get away from him. But God's purposes now are going to be affected through the prophetic ministry of Samuel and his ability to continue God's purposes in the monarchy in Israel. The reading from Hebrews is an extended and rather tortured commentary about the perfect offering of Jesus. I think there's something happening to me in my ministry because I'm actually understanding Hebrews better than I used to. I really think it's one of the great books in the New Testament. And it's an extended argument by a Jewish Christian on the difference between the work of Christ and the work of the priests in, at the temple in Jerusalem. And how now we need to understand this difference, that the priests at the temple who were slaughtering animals for the purpose of pleasing God, and who every time they do that are incapable of performing a perfect sacrifice, this now has been rendered unimportant because we have the perfect sacrifice of Christ. And it is not for the purpose of right-wising us with God only. It's for the purpose of creating an environment where we now understand God's unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness. So the author of the epistle to the Hebrews is not merely talking about the meaning of the sacrifice of Christ, He's talking about the fact that you and I now follow in this way and can do these things. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The template that we lay over our own spiritual life and development. The the possibility of the healing of our emotional, spiritual, and mental states. Affected by the work of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ. Remember what we do here on Sundays, even if you hear the word sacrifice used. What we're doing here is an offering of thanksgiving. And it is an empowerment by this spiritual food and drink to allow us to be God's people in the world. It isn't merely some self-satisfying thing that we do together. It's for the purpose of giving us strength for the journey. Strength for being disciples of Christ. And so this reading today from Hebrews is about the nature of discipleship. 
A Christian disciple is somebody who witnesses to the faith as modeled in the baptismal covenant in the Book of Common Prayer. A disciple is someone who keeps the Sabbath. A disciple is someone who seeks to honor the tithe as the biblical standard of faithful giving. A faithful disciple is someone who uses her or his spiritual gifts in the work of the upbuilding of the church. And a faithful disciple is someone who reaches out to others with the love of Christ. You know, I wish my, that I and others would feel more like some of the uh, great figures of the English Reformation who when they understood about God's unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness, they said their breath was literally taken away. They had no idea what this meant, and now they do. So the author of the letter to the Hebrews is saying, this is something that has happened now that is absolutely stupendous for humanity. So the reading from Mark's Gospel has something to do with my old teacher who I talk about all the time, O.C. Edwards, the professor of New Testament, when he said it's not as important what the Bible says as what the Bible means. Because we need to know something about the situation on the ground in Mark's Gospel. So here's a little chronology. In 68 A.D., the Roman imperial army came into the city of Jerusalem and raised it. They raised the temple, they tore it down and burnt it up, they burnt most of the city, and most of the people there fled. So by the time of the writings of the Gospels, there wasn't many people, if any, in Jerusalem. They were out there. So Mark's Gospel was probably written in Antioch or somewhere like that. Mark's Gospel is the earliest Gospel and it was written in about 70 or 75. So that means the temple had been destroyed. So what Jesus said in today's Gospel was now not predictive. It had happened. It was a cataclysm. The world ended as they knew it sacrificing Judaism, second temple Judaism, to use the archaeological term, was over and has never returned. So in this gospel, that is, in this saying of Jesus that is reproduced now in the gospel, the people who are hearing this have lived it. They've been through it. And they're asking themselves, what are we going to do? How are we going to cope with all of this? How are we going to manage what's going on? Because some other things have occurred. We've had these cataclysms. We've had the Roman Imperial Army on the march beginning to persecute Christians. But we've also had people who have come into Christianity who are not Jews. They're Gentiles, which translated from the Greek means those people. Those people have come in now. Our people are here, and those people are coming in. Right? Does this sound familiar? 
Do you think there's been anything going on in our country that has anything to do with those people and our people? Have we ever behaved that way? Is that some just ancient story? Right? Maybe what goes around comes around. Who knows? Who knows? So what this is about is how do we manage the change? Managing change is not easy because all of us have trouble with it in the big global sense, but we also have trouble with it in the minutiae of our lives. You know, the, the, the seven last words in the Episcopal Church are, we've never done it that way before. So what do you do about managing the change and how are you going to do it? Jesus says at the end of today's gospel, these are the birth pangs. And have you ever had anything happen in your life where you meet, from that you, you discern that it means this is now the beginning of birthing a new way of understanding God's purposes for me personally and also for the people? that there are going to be some changes that are going to occur that are going to be difficult and we're going to have to try to make sense out of what they mean for us. You know, think, if I think almost every day about my mother and father and my grandparents coming back to life, like, boom, they come back to life. You don't have to make that sound, boom, when you say it, but I usually do. What would they think? What would they think? They've been dead for 35 years. And they're back now and they, they watch one day of television. They think, have we gone nuts? Right? Or what do you mean there are virtually no newspapers anymore? How are you going to get any news? Right? So there would be some managing of change on a, on a grand scale, wouldn't there, about this. But it's sufficiently recent that there would have been some things that they would have said, well, yeah, we know, but who, you know, who would have thought it would turn out this way or that way or whatever it is. Jesus says these are the birth pangs and he provides us with no solutions because we're cooperators with his purposes in the world. So it isn't that we're being slighted or punished by God because we don't know those things and how we're going to handle those things. But we do know that God is constant and God is present. God was present to Hannah for years. And then she had that baby. And the consequences of this were enormous. Not only for her own self-esteem, for her own emotional, spiritual, and mental states, but for the future of Israel. And everybody in this church right now has the potential to make that kind of change in the world, even though it may seem insignificant at the time, because you count for God's plan for the cosmos. So give thanks for God's work in the world. Give thanks for God's abundance out of the midst of lack and barrenness. Give thanks for the work of Jesus Christ and our ability to follow him and use him as the template for our own spiritual life and maturity. Uh, And give thanks for being part of the birthing process in every age.
Amen.